Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. On this show, we discuss and bring attention to a wide range of personal safety and security products and solutions that are available to both businesses and individuals to keep you safer and more secure both online and off. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As a self-employed information technology consultant since 1995, as a martial artist for over 20 years, I bring decades of personal safety and security experience to my role as the host of this show. To learn more about how I can help your corporation, college, or conference, you can visit my personal website at PeteCanavan.com. So thanks so much to our listeners for being here. We really appreciate you helping us spread the word about Safety Talk and sharing in your social circles. And a hot topic is today is telemedicine. And on today's episode, we have a doctor who will be talking with us uh, about it and as well as some other medical-related topics. And he is a, an award-winning physician, speaker, aging expert, and author. He is known as the anesthesiologist to the stars and is one of the most sought-after physicians in California. He trained at Stanford and UCLA and has built a career attending to some of the most complex patients in the San Francisco, California area. He has spent years on the front lines of healthcare, treating both adults and children with uncontrolled pain, as well as other complicated medical issues. He is an authority on wellness and advanced nutrition, and has a new book out titled, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast, Wellness Tips to Reverse Aging, Treat Depression, and Get a Good Night's Sleep. And couldn't we all use some of those? Uh, the book reveals insider Hollywood secrets on how you can say goodbye to chronic disease and pain, continuously look your best, and maximize your performance and immune system, which is obviously so important, as we hear about in the news on almost a consistent basis today. Uh, he owns a telemedicine clinic in Beverly Hills, California, and right now, as telehealth is exploding, as people are either unable or unwilling to visit doctors in person, uh, and vice versa, it's become extremely important. So as part of today's episode, we will be discussing the five reasons why telemedicine has come of age and is here to stay, and why this is the perfect time for a patient to visit their doctor from home. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Gregory Charlop to Safety Talk. Welcome, doctor. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Sure. We're uh, very happy to have you on the show to talk about telemedicine and some other topics, obviously your new book as well. Uh, because, you know, as we all know, uh, you and I and everyone else that, you know, our personal safety or in our health is of paramount importance. You know, if we're not feeling well, it's hard to focus on other things, especially when we have things like chronic pain or, you know, something that's always nagging at us. It, it really is difficult to focus on the other tasks at hand, whether they are, you know, things that we have to do in our business or in our personal lives, you know, something as simple as, you know, working on your garden. If you're in pain all the time, you can't do that. So it really, you know, affects every area of our lives when, we, when we're not healthy. And so that's what, you know, this show Safety Talk is all about. We, we're all about improving the safety and security and health of others by any means necessary, including, you know, education, training, tools, uh, different skills and products, and, you know, hey, basically whatever it takes, right? So let's start off by, uh, by having you tell our audience about um, how you got involved in medicine in the first place, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of the specifics. Sound good? Sure, yeah, of course. So, you know, it's funny, my, my parents love telling the story. I think I was around nine or something like that. I was at a birthday party and, you know, they have these parties like bowling alleys or skating rinks and that kind of thing. And so we had a lot of fun and then we go to the party room. You know, they have like these rooms in the back and there was a big cake there and they were cutting the cake and like all the kids are going crazy over the cake and I refused to have any of the cake. I'm like this nine-year-old, like sort of precocious kid. And I'm like, no, I don't want to have it because it has too much sugar. And so, you know, my parents love telling the story. And I guess from a young age, I always cared a lot about nutrition. I mean, I was always into health and, you know, I, I used to have arguments like artificial sugar is bad or good and artificial colors and all these things. And I used to love doing all these experiments with health. So I've always loved health and nutrition in particular. Uh, ultimately, you know, I was in school, I went to college, and I loved science, and I wanted to try to figure out something I could do with it. And to be honest, I didn't think I had the patience to sit and do bench research. You know, I, I love people that do that, but it's, it's, 
takes a lot of patience to do it. And I thought, you know, maybe something like medicine would be more my speed. So that's how I ended up uh, getting in, you know, going into medicine. And then I ended up becoming, I'm an anesthesiologist, like you said. And honestly, right. So how did you, is, how did you go from, you know, being that anesthesiologist and, you know, you know, someone who's very sought after in that, you know, realm and then sort of, you know, segue and, and become an expert in the, in the wellness and the, you know, the anti-aging area. Well, so, you know, so it's funny. So it, one of the big things about anesthesiologists, if you know any, you find them, we like to have things happen quickly. You know, like that's the hallmark of anesthesia. Like you like to do something and then you like to see its result. And so the way we think about medicine is very different than say, like a lot of internists, you know, family medicine doctors do. They kind of, they do something, they'll start you on like a blood pressure pill and they'll wait, you know, six months, a year, you know, who knows if it's working. We like to do quick results. So a lot of, a lot of what I'm into in medicine and a lot of the wellness stuff I'm into is actually like, what could we do that will help you in the long term, but will also give you quick results. And that of course kind of fits in with like what the Beverly Hills crowd is looking for. Cause a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of celebrities and actors and things like that. And their careers depend on being healthy and looking good. And, um, and, and so sure, their, their paychecks depend on it, right? <laughs> their paychecks depend on it. Right. So, uh, so it's a good thing they don't have quarantine hair like, like I have right now. So you'll, you'll have to forgive me for that. But, but you know, the, the stuff you could do that kind of works quickly and helps you feel better and look better and that kind of stuff. That that's the kind of stuff I, I'm really into. And that, that's, that's, you know, so that, I guess that's where the anesthesia and the wellness stuff kind of tie in together. You know, having we are a society that wants instant satisfaction. We want instant results. We want instant answers to information. You know, I mean, the internet's kind of spoiled everybody because you can you know search for anything and find answers. Now, some of that may be good information. Some of it may not be good information. Right. Right? And that's that's part of the the challenge sometimes is finding it. You know, especially when you're searching for you know health related information. You know, oh, I've got a pain here. I have an ache here. Or why is why do I have a bump on my arm? You know, whatever it happens to be that somebody's searching for. But when you have a solution to a problem that whatever it happens to be, and the person can see some some quick results that can motivate them to stay the course for the long term, which ends up being you know better for their their health uh, and longevity, and and helps them maintain you know youthful vigor and appearance and and feeling good about themselves. So that's important, right. absolutely. Right. Right. And you know, that's the, I think you touched on two points, which I, I'm really happy you mentioned. One of them is sifting through all this online stuff. You know, everybody, you know, everybody does it. And I, I've, I've been guilty of this too. We all go to Dr. Google, you know, and we, we type in our symptoms or we try to figure out what the problem is. And we hope Google will diagnose us. And, you know, that's tricky, you know, and, and you're obviously an expert in this type of thing. It's, it's, it's tricky because number one, you're putting out a lot of your personal information on there because now it's, you know, cookies and everything else, all these other websites know the problems you have, <laughs> but, right, which, but on top of that, which, you know, you may not want, right. Mm. But, but on top of that, which, you know, which is why you see all these retargeted ads, but, but on top of that, you know, a lot of the stuff you're finding online is, has an agenda, you know, I, I mean, obviously there are some reliable sources, but many of them are, are written by people that are trying to sell something. Uh, they're by companies that, that have some sort of ad revenue and, and, and they want to make money off you. So you have to be careful. And then even the stuff that isn't necessarily trying to sell you something, it, it may not be written by people who know what they're talking about. You know, right. someone just read something once or their cousin Joe told them who happens to be a, you know, a dermatologist. And, and so it gets online and then people, I think people give things too much credibility sometimes just because it's online. Well, yeah, it's yeah. online. It's gotta be true. Right. 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 <laughs> well, you see it in writing, you know, so once you see something in writing, you know, but the other thing you mentioned, which is also important, which is, I mean, some aspects of wellness, they're the long game, you know? So sure. for example, like I'm a big fan of taking turmeric and I take gobs of the stuff. I add it to food. I, I take it as, like capsules, you know, I, I take it all, as much as I can. And a lot of the doctors I work with, the people that are into this stuff, everybody takes turmeric. And you don't really see any immediate benefit from that, you know. So you do it, and honestly, we're kind of doing it on faith that that will help us, right? Because there's lots of good data on it. We know it's not hurting us, and there's tons of good research. But you don't, you take it today, you don't feel it tomorrow, you know. 
but there are other things you can do for your health that you actually do feel pretty quickly. And that's a big plus. And, and so I think when you're looking at wellness, especially if you want people to keep up with wellness stuff, you have to give them both the long game stuff like turmeric, but also stuff that will help them quickly because people want results. Sure. Because, I mean, if you tell me I got to do this and I'm not going to see results for six months or a year, it's going to be real easy to fall off the wagon and not continue to, to do the routine, whatever it happens to be. But when we do something, you know, and we see results within maybe a few days or a week or two, right. then that's going to motivate you, whether it's losing weight or, you know, getting stronger or bulking up or whatever your, your goal happens to be. So, yeah, that's a very, very interesting because... Um, well, here's the other problem with that, too, is that um, you're seeing what actually happens but not what would have happened so for example like say you know you start taking turmeric and a year from now you feel the same way you feel today did it help you you know maybe not or maybe you would have had some terrible illness and you didn't get it because you were taking the turmeric you, so you don't so the trouble is you don't know what would have happened had you not taken it you just know what ended up happening so, so why would somebody want to take that what would some of the long-term benefits be as long as we're kind of talking about that well, so one of the here, so here's the thing. So if you look at like a lot of Asian cultures, mm -hmm. turmeric is very popular in, in food and it was used for medicinal purposes in a lot of, particularly Southeast Asia. And it's been around for thousands of years as sort of a food slash medicine in Asia. And, and they were really onto something. Uh, for one thing, it, it seems to help prevent inflammation. So a lot of aging, we think is, I'm very into this anti-aging stuff. A lot of aging we think it's due to inflammation. You know, you have chronic inflammation, your immune system is activated all the time. And what that does is it damages cells throughout your body. It's like your body's constantly in this sort of stressed out fight or flight mode. And that's very toxic. It's very unhealthy. So we think that turmeric does a lot of things like decreases your risk of Alzheimer's disease. It helps with inflammatory bowel disease or autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease. It seems to reduce the risk of cancer and heart disease. I mean, almost all of the kind of commonly associated things with aging, turmeric seems to reduce. And the cool I had part heard, about I had it, heard that it had anti-inflammatory properties. Yes, yes. And, 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 and the thing about it that's great is it's pretty cheap, and it has no, at least that we know of, no side effects. So, you know, in the world of options, you know, how many things are there out there that are relatively inexpensive, seemingly have zero side effects and may have tons of long-term benefits. You know, there, are, there just aren't that many things out there like that. No, they're not. And, you know, you have, we all have to be careful about, you know, what we put in our bodies. I mean, I take a handful of vitamins a couple times a day. You know, I'd rather be doing that than taking a handful of medicine and pills. Yes, yes, you know? yes. And, and, you know, somebody, people, you know, if, if I have a friend over and, I'm, you know, I'm taking my vitamins, they're like, man, that's a lot of vitamins. I'm like, well, you know, I want to stay healthy, you know. So, I mean, I'm taking, you know, my glucosamine and chondritin and MSM and I'm taking DHEA and, and, and a multivitamin and uh, calcium and something from my mind and something for the prostate and something for, you know, the eyes. And there are all these different things. And it's like, you know what, as long as I'm helping myself not get worse, I know it's at least maintaining where I'm at. Right. Kind of like you're saying right. with your turmeric, it's like it, you may not be seeing an immediate effect, but how do you know it hasn't been preventing you from getting sick? Right, like, right. At my age and working on computers all the time, I don't need glasses. That's like unheard of. Like wow. I'm not wearing contacts right now. I have glasses. I got 20-20 vision and you know, 50 years old. And it's like, wait a minute. How, you know, a lot of people have glasses at my age and hey, knock on, on wood, I won't need them for a long time, maybe ever, but who knows? I know they say they eventually will go, but we'll see. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> hey, every little bit you can do, right? So, right, right, right. But yeah, absolutely. So the, the book, uh, since we're talking about the health of this, and we'll get into some of the telemedicine side of this, uh, that you wrote, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast, was recently released. So what inspired you to, re to, uh, to write the book and what's it about? So the book is about modern techniques to prevent aging primarily. So it's actually very exciting because I think all of us have sort of taken for granted that as time goes by, we get old and we get sick and we get frail. You know, we, we think it's just a matter of time before we get cancer or Alzheimer's disease, that our energy goes away, that we start forgetting things. Because that's that what we've been told. Be to do. That's what we've been told. And, you know, it's funny because one of my other big interests is in real estate. I'm, I'm really into seniors and senior housing. And, of course, one of the things they always recommend to people is you want to get like a one-story house, you know, so you don't have to climb stairs. And we're telling people that can climb stairs 
to buy houses that don't have stairs because we're, we're assuming that it's just a matter of time before you can't climb stairs. And so we have this mindset that get, get getting old and getting frail is just sort of the deal. You know, that's just what happened. So, so the book talks about research that's come out of Harvard and USC and UCLA and some other top places, MIT, that show that we actually don't have to fall victim to these aging traps that we imagine. And it also talks about some great new research about ways of treating depression, which over 17 million people have and is related to aging, and also ways of getting improved sleep, both to get better sleep in general for your health, and also, uh, and also because improved sleep will, uh, will improve performance. So someone like you, you're obviously you're a very effective, very successful athlete, and, and, and a lot of athletes are sort of cluing into how sleep can help. It's the, huge, the tight and stress, yeah. right? and it stresses sleep, and you know we're also stressed out all the time. And right, you know when we're wound up or when we're stressed out, it's very hard to kind of turn it off. You know, at the end of the night, and I mean myself included, and a lot of people, it's like when you finally sit down and, and you go to bed, whatever time it happens to be, at night or morning. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know you still have things racing. Hopefully at night. <laughs> What's that? Hopefully at night. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, you know, I, I'm a night owl. It's, I, just, oh, okay, I okay. usually go to bed about you know one or two in the morning, just about. But uh, it's, uh, but I mean that's you know, good night's sleep is obviously super super important. So I, I've I've pulled up here for those watching the uh, the video uh, on our on our YouTube channel that uh, the book Why Doctors Get Breakfast is up here. So it, it talks about also dep treating depression, which uh, as you mentioned, so that's uh, that's awesome. So I mean just you know, who wouldn't want to, you know, reverse aging, not be depressed and, and get a good night's sleep. So I think it's a fantastic uh, subtitle to the book, as well as a funny uh, and catchy title, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast. So why do doctors skip breakfast? <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. So I, I worked at a major, before coming to Beverly Hills, I worked at sort of a major academic hospital. And so we worked at one of those places where like the sickest of the sick come for major surgeries. And the people I work with are all these like top-notch you know, surgeons, anesthesiologists, you name it. They all trained at all the best places, saved lives, and busy people. And in the morning, you know, we get there and kind of hang out before starting. And people would have their books out and they'd have their, their coffee. Everybody drinks coffee. Uh, you know, their supplies. We'd kind of discuss what's going on. But almost nobody would eat. They would drink coffee, but hardly anyone ate. And... I just sort of took for granted that's how everybody was. You know, I was fasting because I'm into intermittent fasting, and I noticed that most of my colleagues were in intermittent fasting. But then, I don't know why, but I just noticed when I was out a different time for breakfast one day, at the time I did go out for breakfast, everybody was eating. And then I started looking around, and I noticed like outside of the hospital, like all these people were eating breakfast. So I thought, wow, like it's really interesting that, that the doctors, like these really like effective, knowledgeable people, None of us are eating, but then everybody else is. And I thought, we're doing a really poor job of, of telling people how to be healthier. You know, I thought, we know what to do. Like, we know that, that eating breakfast is not a good idea for most people, but we haven't done a good job of communicating it because everybody else is eating their, their Fruit Loops and their Corn Pops or their bagels or everything else, and they're poisoning themselves. Right. Yeah, because I mean, breakfast, I mean, it, it really is the most important meal of the day in my eyes because I mean, all night long, your body's burning calories, you wake up, you need to refuel and get your brain the energy it needs to tackle the day as well as your body. And I mean, I'm personally, I mean, I'm addicted to egg sandwiches. I make killer egg sandwiches in the morning, you know, on English muffins or bagels, you know, scramble, you know, mix up the eggs, cut up some, you know, tomatoes and peppers and, you know, whatever else I want to throw in there, you know, stuff from the garden, especially, you know, now coming into the, the summer. I'll be doing that in the, uh, you know, picking stuff fresh out of the garden. And, uh, and man, that's just, it's the best because then you're fueled up and you can focus and uh, it is important. But as you said, it's, it's funny because you're kind of like not leading by example, you know, <laughs> like you're right. Uh, right. So interesting. And, and we're not explaining, we're not explaining the kind of the logic behind it. You know, I think that's the, the problem is, you know, we're, we, we're kind of, <laughs> you'll see like, again, like with turmeric, I hate the, the harp in that, but like, that's another thing. Like almost every doctor I know takes it. But, but you never hear them saying, oh, yeah, you should take turmeric, you know, so it's kind of odd that, like, we're doing all these things, but we're not actually, like, going out there doing a good job recommending it to other people. And I think that's our fault. So that was one of the things I really wanted to address and why, at least in my opinion, based on the research, 
fasting is a good thing to do and why there are certain foods that are better than others and, and certain supplements you want to take and others you want to avoid. Sure. Well, like anything, right? There's, there's good stuff and then there's bad. And uh, right. if somebody doesn't do the research and uh, hopefully they're reading the right research uh, to, deter, you know, to educate themselves about it, it's, it's tough. It can be confusing. So that's, that's awesome though, because I mean, you want to be able to get that information out there because if it's something that can help other people be healthier or maintain their levels of health or aging, uh, you know, it's important. And, uh, and, 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 you know, as I said, I mean, sleep is a, is a really, really, you know, key component. And I think a lot of us are not getting the sleep that we need because we are so overly stimulated all day long and we have so much bombarding us from technology and from television and just in our lives, you know, it's like, boom, oh, there's another text. Oh, there's another text. Oh, now my phone's ringing. Oh, I got to check my email. It's like, you know, every time we turn around, there's things that are, you know, vying for our attention and we right. have a hard time kind of just, <sighs> you know, just, <laughs> just, just stop, just turning it all off, you know, and that's right. why I think things like yoga are are extremely important because it helps people sort of center themselves, you know, focus on their breathing, let them sort of take things down a notch and relax. And that's one reason why I love martial arts because it really helps me in, with the stress relief. It helps me sort of escape from, you know, the, the day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute, you know, demands on my time. And we all have those. So we all need right. to find a way to sort of, you know, take it down a notch or two or three <laughs> and, and relax. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, you're, you're right. And, and, you know, I think you're kind of getting at this, that the phone and the computer are big problems right now when it comes to sleep I mean, huge problems. And, you know, there's this whole deal with, with sleep hygiene. I mean, first of all, like people have to kind of accept the fact that sleep is important. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of people almost look at not sleeping as like a badge of honor, you know, like, Oh, I worked so hard, you know, like I didn't, Oh, I didn't sleep, you know, I'll sleep, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, all of these things. Yeah, well, you know, but, watch, you're going to be dead sooner than later. <laughs> you're going to be dead sooner than later, right? And, you know, so in the book, and we actually bring up an example, and it's kind of a thought experiment, but it's interesting to think about. It turns out that nearly every single animal sleeps. It's actually pretty surprising. Like nearly every single animal, from humans, of course, mammals, uh, birds, reptiles sleep sea creatures sleep, even insects, they have a thing very similar to sleep. I mean, sleep is really conserved. The need to sleep is really conserved across nearly every single animal in existence. And that shows how important it is. I mean, do a thought experiment. You know, we have this in the book. Imagine there's, imagine just by chance uh, a fox evolves that doesn't need to sleep. You know, I, I bring up the example like Billy the sleepless fox. So let's say Billy evolves, he's born, he doesn't need to sleep, right? what an advantage Billy would have, right? Because he would have, look, he would have time to look for food all day. He, he could look for food whenever he wants. He could look for a great place to live all the time. He would be less vulnerable to predators because, you know, while you're sleeping, a wolf comes by and eats you. You know, right. but Billy Everybody wouldn't have to worry down. about that. Bill, Billy wouldn't have to worry about that. And Billy, you know, Billy would really woo the ladies, because he, he, he has more time to go out and, and meet the lady foxes, right? So Billy will have more kids. So if a sleepless fox ever evolved, they would take over all the foxes. No one would eat them. They'd have more women. They'd have more food. They'd have everything. Right. But there are no sleepless foxes. And that is because sleep is so important that across all animals, we, we need it. And, and we, evolution through all of these animal species hasn't found a way of getting around that. And so I think that we need to accept that sleep is very important for, for our lives. Well, it helps your body rejuvenate and repair itself. And, and, you know, there's so many, so many benefits to that. So people that, you know, are obviously concerned about their health, you know, all the time for various reasons. During this whole coronavirus, COVID-19 issue, we have the problem where people may be sick, but they won't want to go to the doctor because they don't want to be exposed to other people that may potentially have something that they could catch, whether it's COVID-19 or something else. So telemedicine has really began to evolve. And, you know, it's been around for a while, but I think this is really going to push it so much faster and further forward, uh, like, like a lot of other industries, uh, because of this, you know, online education being another. Now, you have right. founded your own telemedicine clinic. And, you know, obviously, you've 
realized that there's a huge need for this. I don't know how, how long ago you founded it, but um, can you tell a little bit, little bit about you know, the, the telemedicine clinic you have founded and what made you sort of decide to do that versus you know, a physical clinic where, where patients would be coming? Well, I want to start out by saying I agree with everything you said about COVID-19. And honestly, if I had to go to the doctor with something that wasn't serious, I'd be afraid to go personally, because I know that the places are doing a pretty good job of separating the respiratory people from the non-respiratory people, and they're checking temperatures, and they're doing alcohol and everything else. But COVID is such a contagious virus that um, I would still be worried, despite their best efforts of going in. Now, obviously, if you had to go in, if you had appendicitis or something, you, know, you, you just bite the bullet and go in. But but if it's something that's not that big of a deal, personally, I would probably try to wait. And, and it's interesting because it seems that the kinds of viruses you're exposed to in these healthcare facilities may be more dangerous than the version you would get at home. Because the people that have some of the highest mortality from COVID are the healthcare workers. Right. And they're around probably sicker people, which is what's bringing them into the hospital in the first place. And, and maybe they're getting a higher exposure level. So, so I agree with what you said. You know, I think it's a little bit risky to go to the doctor now. And, and, and honestly, I, I think that this will probably cause some sort of long-term shift in how people behave and interact with doctors. You know, it's kind Absolutely. of like you get the bite of the apple. You know, once you, once you realize that, hey, you know, like I could save an hour in the car and parking and everything else and checking in and, and in addition to the risk of being exposed to viruses, why would you not see the doctor at home if it's anything that you could? Exactly. You know, my parents, my, my parents um, are, you know, obviously they're older than I am. And, and, and they actually both made telemedicine like dermatology appointments. You know, and I was like, wow, like you, you guys beat me. I haven't actually gone to it. I haven't actually as a patient um, right. <laughs> gone to telemedicine yet. My parents even beat me to it, you know, and they're, you know, so, so I think it is catching on. It, it, as far as me, you know, I, I got into it because I want to be able to help. I, I think for patients, I just think it's so much more convenient. I, I have a practice that's, that's kind of limited to it's sort of a boutique practice. It's people that are really into like cutting edge wellness, people that are really into anti-aging. So we, we spend a lot of time going through detailed labs and, and, and kind of making detailed recommendations about diets and supplements. It's like a very kind of high touch, I guess, like concierge kind of medicine thing. So it, you couldn't do that with a lot of patients. So it's a limited number of patients that, I, that I'm able to, to sort of focus a lot of attention on. Sure. And that type of thing, I think, is much better with telemedicine because what we're able to do is we can kind of chat anytime, you know, if a question comes, this happens all the time, you know, a new supplement will come out and they'll want to talk about it or they, they're not sure about their diet or they're not feeling, you know, they're not, they're not sleeping well and we want to discuss it or, or something like that. And so the telemedicine makes you as a doctor much more accessible to the patient. And, and so I think it's a huge benefit to the patient. And I think it allows, it allows the patient to get medical feedback quicker versus going to Google. Because in this case, they could just come to me and they could say, hey, you know, supplement XYZ just came out. What do you think of it? If they weren't in telemedicine, those people would probably go online and Google it. You know, and well, not to say that that's on bad, their but own, you know, and they'd Google not, it on their own. Consult right? with a doctor. But, and and right. it also helps you because you can see more patients because the time involved to, you know, have somebody call you or do a video conference, you know, or a Zoom call like we're doing now, Right. It enables you to still talk to somebody face to face, you know, see to a certain extent what's going on. Obviously, you can't perform like a physical exam, but, you know, you can observe, you can discuss, you can give options, you can, you know, provide advice. There are a lot of things that can be done. And then when it's done, it's done. The patient doesn't have to go and, and, you know, get in their car and drive home. Right. And, you know, you don't have to go walk to, you know, another room or, you know, sort of do some of the things that are traditional in medicine, you know, where you've got other, you know, patients waiting in the next room. And now, you know, it's like, oh man, I spent too much time with this person. They're probably getting pissed at me because, I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, the, it's tough. So it definitely gives an advantage for both sides. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret about medicine. Oh. It turns out that like the physical exam for most people almost all the time is not necessary. 
we do it because if you think like medicine, you know, it started a long time ago and there wasn't much you could do, you know, like we didn't know much about diseases, but you could, you know, have like a stethoscope, you could test reflexes, you know, there were, so, so medicine, then the way medicine doctors, especially in the United States got reimbursed was by doing a physical exam. So I think based on the way medicine started and then based on the way doctors get paid, the physical exam sort of took this big role in healthcare. But it turns out that almost all the time, the physical exam isn't that important. Now, I think what matters is you want to see the patient. You know, I, I could look at you, your kind of general feeling. You, you look healthy. You look like you're in pretty good shape. You're not breathing too fast. You're not struggling for air. So having some sort of ability to observe the patient, you know, say you're my patient, that's important. Because so I can see you and you, you look very comfortable. You're obviously not in distress right now. That kind of thing is important. But but listening to your heart with a stethoscope, pushing on your stomach, you know, that kind of stuff, except in rare cases, it really isn't that necessary almost all the time. Um, right. What does matter is you getting to me quickly if there's a problem and being able to actually get a good history from you, being able to sit down and, and hear what you have to say. That's the kind of stuff that really matters most of the time. So if traditionally most, you know, physicians are being you know, reimbursed and paid for the, you know, quote, office visit, then there has to be going on now or, or some sort of revolution in how the insurance companies are dealing with a telemedicine visit as opposed to an in-office visit. So that's, where is that right now? Is that sort of like an ongoing challenge with someone like yourself where if somebody says, hey, I mean, if you, you know, are both the clinic and you have a patient coming in and they're paying you cash or writing a check and they're not concerned about insurance, great. They don't, they don't really care. But for somebody who does need the insurance to pay for the office visit or the treatment or whatnot, and it's all done through a, a telemedicine, uh, you know, method, how is that differ for the doctor? Right. Well, that's a really good question. And that's been one of the big things that's changed recently. Um, so for me, like, I don't take insurance uh, mm -hmm. for my telemedicine stuff. So it hasn't changed anything for me. But, but for a lot of other people, it has. And, you know, I hate to say, because obviously COVID is a terrible disease and it's, it's just been horrible for the economy and, and for people getting sick and dying. But but, but with any sort of disastrous thing, there are sometimes good things that can come out of it. And I think one good thing that came out of that in terms of healthcare is that telemedicine has become more accepted. And, and I think insurance companies are coming around to saying, you know, maybe we should be reimbursing doctors for telemedicine because they would actually prefer the patients not come in either. Right, right. <laughs> you know, because uh, the insurance company doesn't want you coming in to see your doctor for a headache that you don't need to and then you get COVID. You know, that's not, that's not in the insurance company's interest either, right? They would rather you stay home, you speak to the doctor about your headache, you get whatever treatment you need, and you're done, you know? So, right. Yeah, sure. So we can work both ways, too. It can be advantageous for the insurance companies in some respects as well. Exactly. So it's better for the insurance company, and it's better for you. And honestly, it may ultimately be better for the insurance company because they may be able to squeeze more efficiency out of doctors in the long term because, you know, one doctor eventually, maybe instead of seeing, I'm just making these numbers up, maybe seeing 15 patients in a day in the clinic, maybe they could see 20 patients a day from telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So it may sort of decrease the crunch of doctors too. So in the long term, I think it's an insurance company's best interest. So what's happened is a lot of insurance companies and even the government, the Medicare and Medicaid system, have sort of recently changed the rules and made it much easier for doctors to bill for telemedicine visits. And so as a result, Patients now, insured patients, are often able to get telemedicine visits, sometimes at no out-of-pocket costs. That's fantastic. Because, I, mean, yeah. I mean, really, there's very minimal, you know, quote, cost involved. Uh, you're still providing the expertise as a doctor, and that's obviously got, got some value to it. But the, the cost associated with running a, a physical office, paying the staff, dealing right. with insurances and utilities and all of that is greatly reduced which makes you more profitable, which in turn makes you able to do other things with that money. And it also then helps the patient because if they're paying less to, uh, you know, for a telemedicine visit, 
versus a physical visit, you know, then that's obviously great for them as well. So right. if, if I was, you know, a patient and I was calling you for a, a telehealth consult or, or appointment or something like that, how, how does that, how does that work? Like, does it have to get pre-approved? Well, obviously someone like yourself, you don't have to worry about insurance, but um, how would that work in terms of like, okay, I've, I've got a problem. I need to talk to you. How would that sort of work in, in that, uh, in a telemedicine environment? So that's a good question. And a lot of that is, is that part is a little bumpy now, I think, because it really is sort of catching on. So we're kind of at the beginning end of like a, I think a revolution, honestly, in how people access healthcare and doctors. So it's different depending on who your doctor is and who your insurance company is. And, and honestly, it even is different to some degree depending on what state you live in. So there isn't, I can't give you a blanket answer to that, but I'll tell you that that most major insurance companies, they're actually contacting their members and they're saying that you can go see your doctor for no out-of-pocket costs or very little out-of-pocket costs and they kind of give instructions. And, and the thing is that some doctors are now making themselves available through telemedicine. It's, there aren't that many doctors that are just doing telemedicine. That's right. rare. What I'm doing is un unusual. Most doctors, they have a clinic, but they're, they're throwing in some telemedicine appointments, you know? So, and tele, so it, I mean, and obviously the word telemedicine, you know, gives you the impression that a lot of it may be just, you know, phone based, but I guess that really does encompass also like video conferencing. Cause that's, that's right. all, it's not a telephone call. It's a video conference call, video call, whatever. But so that would be probably the most preferred way other than me just calling somebody on the phone and saying, Oh, you know, I have this symptom, I have that symptom. It's like, well, can we jump on a call? You know, I want to, you know, sort of see what's going on because if I'm, if I'm talking to you and, and I, all of a sudden I go, like this, you're like, hey, what's going on? That may not be something that you're going to be able to see because you can't see when we're just talking on the phone. And and you can imagine. So you know the original because telehealth, telemedicine, you know, as you're as you're hinting at, which is very astute, is you know originally it's been around for a long time, but yeah. originally it was kind of like what you're saying it was like a phone visit. And you could you could imagine from an insurance company's perspective why they would discourage that years ago. I mean. You could imagine a doctor that just takes these phone calls and he speaks to like, you know, 100 patients for two minutes or something and he bills for a visit. Right. You can imagine that doctor is going to be charging enormous bills to the insurance company pretty quick, you know, uh, for that. And he's not really providing much of a service. So mm -hmm. there was a time when, when you could really game the system, you know, if you could bill for a telemedicine visit, but, but you couldn't really back then because you couldn't do the physical exam. But now, um, you know, now, now it's, it's, it's a lot easier. And I, I think that obviously if I were a patient, like my parents in this case, you'd, you'd want to be able to see the doctor like, like we are. Because like I said, I don't think the stethoscope and the abdominal exam and that sort of thing makes much of a difference for people most of the time. I really think seeing the person makes a difference. Right. Because I need like, to okay, see. Okay, stick out your tongue and say, ah, and look in your eyes and your ears. You know, it's kind of the standard, you know, routine, you know, stethoscope, breathe in, breathe out, on the back, breathe in, breathe out. You know, how's everything feeling? Everything's good. Okay. You're good to go. What else is going on? Oh, you got a headache? All right. What kind of headache? How long does it last? You know, you start asking some other questions, whereas you're saying, like, other than really having a reason, like, I have shortness of breath and I'm breathing, we can't, you know, reach through the computer with a stethoscope right. and, and, and do that. Now, there's obviously apps and stuff on the phones, and there's these commercials now where the thing with the heart, you know, arrhythmias where you can detect it, you know, using your fingers on there. Those yes. are fantastic, and they're great tools that can, you know, complement the, the telemedicine, telehealth industry, uh, I think, going forward. And I think that technology and those devices are probably going to become more prevalent. I mean, right here in my house, I have a battery-operated portable blood pressure cuff, you know, just you, in case. Why not? You know, it's funny. I was just going to mention that because this is actually something I'm a big fan of is there's all kinds of these devices now that will talk back to the doctor's office. Um, mm -hmm. So you could actually, as a doctor, if you're set up for it, you could actually manage people with chronic disease remotely because you could do just what you have. Like they have like what you're talking about. You could have the blood pressure cuff and it could talk, you know, gives its data back to the doctor. Uh, oxygen monitors that give their data back to the doctor. If you have diabetes, you can get these blood sugar, you know, measuring devices and they'll give the information back to the doctor, and the doctor can review all of that information. So if you have diabetes and you want to speak to your doctor, how much insulin should you be taking? You don't need to go to the doctor for that. You need their help, but you don't need to be in the office. So if they can review the data from your 
you know, home blood sugar machine, that's all they need. Yeah, that's and that's now we see now 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 my wheels are turning on the cyber, you know, and the security side of things because a lot of these <laughs> devices now are well, they're being connected to the internet through Wi-Fi, right. you know, the whole IoT, right? The Internet of right. Things. Where just right. about every possible device from your doorbell to your insulin meter to your phone to, you know, monitors to, to whatever, to blood pressure cuffs, a lot of these things now have and are going to continue as we see more and more of these devices explode over the next few years because they are going to explode. It's already happening that the use of this technology is going to be awesome, but it's also going to be very sort of uh, vulnerable to right. cyber attacks and the ability to manipulate data. So if somebody is able to manipulate the data that's being transmitted from a patient to a doctor, both, you know, it can happen both ways. I could be transmitting data if I'm a hacker that says, oh, Pete's totally healthy when in fact I'm at risk for a heart attack like tomorrow right. or vice versa. I could be totally healthy and now that hacker could be sending data that says, you know, I'm on death's door, get to the hospital. So I can right. see where this, you know, there are great benefits to it, but then, you know, as they say, with great power comes great responsibility, but also great risk I like to throw in because these things are so new and those sort of devices don't have the same level of security as, you know, your computer and your phone and firewalls and, you know, all kinds of network monitoring and security devices and VPNs. I mean, that stuff doesn't exist. They have some security, but it's fairly limited. And if somebody's got really weak passwords on their Wi-Fi equipment or just their standard, you know, uh, default usernames and passwords, like on the router that they just bought from Best Buy and they never changed it. Well, guess what? If you have an unsecured network, I can hop on there. I use the default information. I'm in there. I can do anything I want. So it gets kind of scary when you start to, you know, sort of extrapolate out the what ifs. Well, you know, I'll take that one step further because even before telehealth is a big thing, this internet of things issue was a problem for cybersecurity. I don't think anything's ever happened, but here's something. I'll give you some food for thought. A lot of people have pacemakers or these things that are similar to pacemakers, these implanted defibrillators right. uh, from people that have bad heart rhythms. It'll actually shock you. Dick Cheney is sort of famous. He had, he had that. Um, but, but there was some concern. Well, what if people hacked that? You know, it's one thing if they hack your data, you know, or they steal your identity or something. But what if they hacked your pacemaker? You know, in theory, now, now this has never, to my knowledge, ever happened, but, but what if someone figured out a way that they could hack your defibrillator and just like shock you or kill you, you know, through one of those devices, you know, might, there's a lot of concern that, that they don't have as much cybersecurity potentially as they should. Uh, I mean, obviously you have to have a really crafty, you know, person on the other end who's willing to do that, but there's a lot of medical internet, like internet things that, that potentially may be vulnerable that could be very, very dangerous, in, in, you know, if someone figured out how to exploit them. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely scary. I mean, and the, the way that, you know, they're pushing the 5G technology and the coverage and with the, the change of how the internet addressing scheme works going from IPv4 to 6, so we get more massive amounts of devices on, you know, online, everything from, you know, your refrigerator to, you know, your watch and the computer and, and every single device in the house to the doorbells. And, you know, it's, it's like we're inviting, you know, this sort of our vulnerability just keeps growing. That, that, that vulnerability footprint keeps growing. And, uh, you know, and then you invite things into your house that everybody wants the Alexas and the Nest devices and, you know, they want right. to just mention things and, you know, get the information they want just by talking because they don't want to look up a, a song. They just want to say, hey, you know, Alexa, play this or that. <laughs> so, that, you know, it's like there's so many things and when they're all interconnected, I think the, the chance of something big happening down the road is going to grow with every passing day. I worry about that. I really think, because I don't think these medical device, internet of things, I don't think cybersecurity is their top concern, you know, like if you're, if you're building a, um, like a pacemaker, again, your goal is to have something that's really reliable, something with a pretty long battery life and something that's small. Like mm -hmm. that's what you care about. You know, anything else is like fluff. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so I don't think that my guess is that cybersecurity is not, you know, the top at the top of their list of, of worries, you know, 
but it should, be, it should be in there somewhere because the, right. the, uh, the chance exists. Right. And, and that's, so, I mean, I guess that could that kind of segues into what I was going to ask you, which is, you know, what are some of the disadvantages to telehealth and telemedicine? Because, you know, we have, there's obviously a lot of great advantages, but there are also some disadvantages. Maybe you can talk yeah. about that a little bit. Well, certainly from a security standpoint, I, I, so here's the thing. So there's this thing called HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act or something like that. I forgot what it stands for. But, but it, it was sort of this landmark legislation that passed during the Clinton years. And the point was to protect your health data. And when you work at a hospital or, or a clinic or any kind of doctor, everything they do is affected by HIPAA. You know, there's all these HIPAA rules. You can't you have to protect personal information. I mean, it has all these things about protecting information. Mm. And so uh, in telehealth, the, there are HIPAA compliant telehealth platforms. There are companies that, that you could just do, like you could just get it right now if you wanted. You could, you could pay to use these telehealth services if you wanted to act as a provider. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a medical doctor, like therapists, psychologists, things like that could use them. Um, and so in theory, at least, and I, you know, I'm not a cybersecurity expert. In theory, those, those companies presumably should have done what needs to be done to make the data protected and that the medical records are not accessible. And they've met at least the government standards for that. If you're doing telehealth in somewhat with a doctor who's not using one of these HIPAA compliant platforms like Zoom or FaceTime or something like that, then, you know, I, I would suspect that there's probably greater risk to your data, you know, and, and both in how it's transmitted and how it's stored. Right. So I, I think, I guess, so one thing would be like, you know, are, are you, um, you know, are, is the doctor using the right platform? And then obviously, like you were saying, are you using the right stuff at home? You know, you obviously know much more about this than I do, but it, if your internet is hacked at home, it probably doesn't even really matter what their internet platform is because they're still snooping at the data going through your house. So, so I think that, that in terms of safety and security, the, the, probably the biggest risk of telehealth, and people worry about is hacking, although I don't think that that's happened yet. Uh, I imagine it's probably a matter of time before it does. Well, I mean, you know, there are always bad actors that are trying to exploit information that they steal, right? So, you know, whether it's a hospital that's hacked where ransomware is, you know, somehow gets in because somebody clicking on something or, or some right. way and the patient records are, you know, encrypted and you have to pay a ransom or you better hope you got a good backup or something like that. Um, the more data that is transmitted, the more data that is stored, the more data that's at risk, right? So additional measures to protect that data have to be taken, I think, over and above whatever the, the, the minimums are, whether it's a HIPAA compliance or a, a certain level of encryption or whatnot. I think there's, there have to be you know, multiple layers of redundant security that really make it super, super difficult for that sort of information to be compromised. And of course, there's nothing, there's no such thing as 100% secure, right? It just doesn't exist. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, there's always a way that something could be, could be compromised from a security standpoint. Um, but we can adopt some best practices. And I think what's going to have to happen is we're going to probably see uh, in the, the very near future, because as we were just talking about, the evolving of telemedicine is forcing both medical providers and telemedicine professionals such as yourself, uh, you know, Dr. Charlotte, that they really have to be sort of giving some, some really strong guidance there in terms of, hey, this is how, these are the, the ways that we recommend you do things. These are how, you know, records have to be stored. This is how you have to you know, notate certain things. And I mean, I know a lot of that stuff is standardized already in terms of like with patient charts and whatnot, but in terms of how the data is handled and stored and right. transmitted, uh, those I think are going to be some really interesting areas that we're going to see evolve over the next, you know, few months and years ahead. Because I mean, if you're a doctor, you know, just decided, hey, you know, I want to start some sort of telemedicine thing, and they just start using FaceTime, and they start writing their chart on Google Docs, you know, with the intention of putting it, you know, in some more permanent form later, they may have potentially created a bunch of security risks. 
Right. Uh, versus if someone's using kind of a native telemedicine platform that includes all of that in presumably, you know, an encrypted HIPAA compliant thing. The other thing I wanted to mention, because you, you asked about downsides of telemedicine, another safety downside that's not cybersecurity is that it potentially could delay diagnosis if someone has like a, a real emergency, you know, so say someone's having stroke or chest pain, maybe they're having a heart attack. Those aren't the types of things you'd want to deal with with telemedicine. You know, you, you'd want to be at the hospital. So for example, with the stroke or heart attack, that kind of thing, um, time is heart or time is brain. You know, if you're having a stroke and you, you know, you're able to get a telemedicine appointment in four hours. So you wait at home because you don't really feel like driving into the hospital. Uh, you know, you may have suffered permanent damage because of that delay. So for certain things, you want to go into the hospital and you just have to suck up the inconvenience. And obviously, for something like that, ideally, you'd call 911. But, I, you know, I, I think there's a risk, at least, that telemedicine for emergencies could delay care if, if people are sitting on it waiting for their telemedicine appointment. Or becoming too reliant on it. Right, right. If they're Which, too reliant. Yes, and then it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll, 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 you know, talk to the doctor, you know, through his telemedicine hotline and, you know, he'll probably tell me it's nothing. In the meantime, you're, you're exhibiting some major symptoms of a, of a, a serious problem that, uh, you know, those, those sorts of things where it's like, you know, you got to make sure the patient knows, Hey man, you know, this is happening. Don't, don't call me, call 911, get the right. ambulance there, you know? And, and that's why I think it's important that anyone who does telemedicine, they have some sort of initial screening thing that before you could even make an appointment, if, if someone has something scary, you know, like I said, that sounds like a stroke or heart attack or something, that, that they're told to go straight to the hospital and not, that, that won't even allow them to make a telemedicine appointment or something like that. Right, like a pre-screening. Right, that you would do instantly, mm-hmm. which, you know, you know, obviously, technically, is a very easy thing to do. Sure. So obviously you think telemedicine and telehealth is here to stay, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's, uh, I mean, th- there's so many conveniences and, uh, and savings, uh, both in, you know, in dollars as well as in time that it, it does make a lot of sense. And so there's been such a spotlight now put on it because of recent events that it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's the thing sort of thing where it's going to, have a lot more focus devoted to it from all aspects, you know, government, insurance, you know, the medical industry, as well as patients, obviously, to determine, hey, you know, this is something that really is a huge advantage in many respects. And you, you got to still take that kind of with a grain of salt that, you know, it's not a, a, a be all end all cure all, right? It's the sort right. of thing right. that it's great for a lot of things that are not, you know, critical, you know, where time is of the essence, like you're talking about, like a stroke or heart attack or something. Um, but for other things where it's like, you know, you need an opinion or you need to make an appointment because you've, you know, experiencing, you know, something sporadically or whatnot. Uh, that's, a, that's, it's a huge, huge boon, I think. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it evolves. So I have to get you back on in, you know, six months or a year and we'll see, you know, remember what we were talking about? Where are we at today? You know? <laughs> You've got a deal. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, I mean, there, there's a saying that millionaires are made during recessions, you know, and a lot of big companies that changed the way we think about things kind of came at the last recession, like 2008, you know, like mm-hmm. Airbnb, Uber, the whole way we look at transportation and housing, you know, rental housing, hotels totally changed in a pretty short period of time. You know, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Uber's now. bigger than any, you know, taxi or limo company and Airbnb is bigger than any hotel chain. Right. It's, and they don't own any property and Uber doesn't own any and cars. Fast. <laughs> and it happened really fast, uh-huh. you know, and, 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 and it's, you know, I guess you never know what's happening when you're in the middle of it, but this feels like something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we definitely are, are going to see permanent changes uh, in many areas uh, as a result of what we're experiencing. Because as you said before, it's kind of like, you know, we, we've taken that first bite of the apple. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, we don't need to do this anymore. And wait a minute, do I really need to have all these employees at my office when they're getting just as much work done at home? And so it's going to touch, I think, a lot of areas in business, uh, in health, in education. And, uh, and it's permanent. I believe a lot of it is permanent. Uh, some of it is going to be dramatically changed and some of it is going to be integrated into the way that things were done traditionally uh, and, you know, in a, in a much greater sense. And so it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating 
to see the changes after this, just like we witnessed the changes after, you know, 2008, like the changes we saw after 9-11. You know, it's, one, it's, it's kind of one of these major, major events that spawns a whole sort of slew of new things that just really come about because of necessity initially. And then after that, it's like, oh, well, you know, this sort of is becoming the new norm. Well, you talk about the bite of the apple, and, and I mean, this goes beyond health, but it, my sense is a lot of people who are working from home now who had not worked from home before are going to take a bite of that apple and be like, gee, you know, <laughs> you know, this working from home thing ain't so bad. You know, I could, could just get the kids day. to be quiet, right? <laughs> yeah, if you could just deal with the kids, you know, that's exactly Get them back in school. If you could just deal with the kids, the working from home thing isn't so bad because, you know, you don't have to deal with traffic. You know, I'll tell you, you can't see I'm wearing shorts now, you know, for our interview. So, you know, you can kind of dress more or less the way you want. You don't have that annoying guy who's by the coffee, you know, by the coffee maker who keeps trying to chat you up and distract you. You know, you can kind of work more in your own schedule. Um, well, there have been I, experiments I mean, that they've done, I think, in Japan where they've shortened the work week and they let people work at home and they're getting more stuff done. Right, right, right. So, you know, I, my, my sense is that, I mean, some people are probably like, can't stand it, you know, maybe extreme extroverts or something. But my guess is a lot of people working from home are really going to like it and they're going to want to try to find ways of working from home in the future. And um, so I think things like telemedicine and this, a lot of these other things, it just fits in with that way of thinking. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. And uh, we, um, we're going to have to see where, where it all goes, right? So uh, I'll pull up your site again here. And uh, so as, uh, if our listeners are interested in, uh, in learning about uh, Dr. Schaub or want to learn more about you know, aging or to get a copy of your book, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast, our listeners can obviously uh, visit your website, which is your name, right? GregorySharlopeMD.com. Uh, That's Charlotte spelled with a C-H-A-R-L-O-P-M-D.com. Uh, what about uh, social media? Can our listeners and uh, viewers search and connect with you on social media? Yes. So, yeah. So the website, like you said, it's Gregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-C-H-A-R-L-O-P-M-D.com. And I am pretty active on Facebook and LinkedIn. I haven't I guess I'm too old to get on TikTok and Snapchat yet, but, uh, <laughs> but Facebook and LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook and LinkedIn, you know, the old timers things, I'm on that. So uh, if you guys like that, you can reach out to me there and I'm usually pretty responsive to people. All right. Fantastic. I'll make sure I post those links uh, along with the interview, make it easy for our listeners to connect with you and follow you online. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, do you have any last thoughts or, or words for our audience? Well, you know, I think that this stuff about personal safety that you're working on is really important. And I, I think that, you know, cybersecurity, as you mentioned, fitness, we didn't really get to talk about that, but I'm sure you talk about it all the time, but fitness and exercise is really important. Sleep, making sure things like meditation that you mentioned is fantastic, both improves your sleep and decreases your stress. It de treats depression. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And I think in times like this where we're in quarantines, I can say like I haven't had a haircut in months, uh, people get depressed and people don't sleep well and people feel stressed and people's health can suffer. And so this is really a time that you want to focus on your health because it, this is hard for a lot of people, this quarantine. And, 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 and I would just encourage you guys, all the listeners here, to check on your friends and relatives because they may be suffering in this isolation and you may not even know. So then I need to get better at this too, but we, 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 we all need to look out for each other because this hits everybody and some people harder than others. And, and I think we all need to come together to kind of help each other out. So true. And you know, it's, it's so encouraging to see that all the time too. the people coming out to, you know, help support the, the, uh, the medical staff, the nurses, the doctors, you know, restaurants, you know, sending them food. And, you know, we, uh, we did something, my neighbor's a nurse here. She works at a nursing home and they were hit really hard and, uh, you know, just real depressed. I mean, she'd come home and it was just really tough. You know, a couple, two, three people on a shift were dying and it was like, yeah. man, how do you, how do you really pick those people up? So what her husband did was, got all of us, all our neighbors. We've got a real cool group of neighbors around here in the cul-de-sac I live on. We're always hanging out. So he, he got all of us. He got our parents. He got some other friends. We all drove up with our cars one night, called the news, said, we're going up there. We're going up to this, this uh, nursing home and just kind of show our support. So we all made signs. 
pulled up there at a given uh, certain time and just started blowing the horns, honking the horns, and <laughs> waving the signs, the kids, the parents, everybody. And they came out and they were just flabbergasted and just so appreciative. And my neighbor told me, she said, they were talking about that, her staff. She's, she's a, she oversees the staff, the nursing staff there. And she said, they were talking about it for days. And it gave them it, that, you know, that uplift because they need it. You know, you get beat down every day and you've got to be garbed up and you're wearing that mask all the time and it's hot and it's hard to breathe. And it's just, you know, it's tough doing that day in and day out. And, you know, these, they are the, the people on the front lines right now. They're the, they're the ones that are, that are battling, you know, the current state of affairs, this virus head on, you know, the doctors, the nurses, you know, ambulance drivers, uh, you know, and the people that are making it all happen. And so, uh, anything we can do, I'm glad you said that, you know, you know, reach out to people, you know, let people know you appreciate them and, and, and the job that they do because they're doing something that a lot of us can't. And I think that's And really even important. people not in healthcare, you know, just any, any friend or neighbor, I just, the, 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 the incidence of depression now is very, very high. Um, yeah. People uh, are out people, laid off. They don't know if they're, they're going to get laid, jobs They're back. laid off. They don't have their social support net you know, system, they can't see their friends or do their usual, you know, they can't, a lot of people can't do their usual athletic activities. So right. people are depressed. So anything we can do to, to, to reach out and cheer people up, I think is, is the thing to do these days. Absolutely. So the book again, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast, Wellness Tips to Reverse Aging, Treat Depression, and Get a Good Night's Sleep, which we all can do. So thank you very much, Dr. Shaw, for being here. Thanks for our listeners for tuning in to Safety Talk. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe and get the latest safety news and information from safetytalkpodcast.com. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast network, and you can always watch the archived videos of our interviews at safetytalkvideos.com. So until next time, everybody, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.